This morning we're continuing our journey this summer as we look at the book of Matthew and looking at as the author here communicates to us, not only to the people 2,000 years ago, but to us today about the teachings of Christ, the nature of Christ, and how he brought life to us. And as I begin, in chapter 15, it's important to know some things. I'll give you some background information that may help as we walk through here. One of the things is that um, recognize that Jesus, do you see him as you think of him walking through the countryside and through the towns and the cities? Do you see him as a, a major challenger, someone who speaks his mind? Do you see him more as a gentle shepherd? I think as we look in the scripture... It's both, but it really looks like that the ones that Jesus had the strongest words for were those who were the most religious, those who were in religious leadership. And so I think for us today, as we think of, however we think of Jesus, to be aware that Jesus had the strongest words for those who were the ones who were in church every Sunday, the ones who were in leadership. So me as a pastor should definitely be looking at the harshness to understand the importance as a teacher of how I need to be on track. And also as, as we go through this morning, I want us to, to recognize, I realize as I read this passage, that this is, as we talk about some things that are very much about the culture of the day, but they match us very well today, even though we live in a very different culture. In fact, as we read through this, this, these words on the page, not my sermon, but the words on the page that we read today may be extremely, may be one of the most important words that you hear in your lifetime if you're living in a way of thinking that the things that you do save you versus who you are and how you have received the redemption and the love of Christ, which has transformed who you are. And so as we, we listen to these words, don't be afraid to, to challenge yourself and to think, is it I, is it I, as we read through this passage. Now, as this, this chapter begins, Jesus has been teaching through the countryside. He has been feeding the multitudes. He has walked on water. He has calmed the storm. He has done amazing miracles. And the crowds have been coming to him. His name is known now throughout all the regions that he is visiting. And the, definitely Jerusalem has heard. And so representatives from Jerusalem have been sent. Now recognize there's different groups here. And, and you, as you read through the scriptures, you may understand the New Testament. There, these different types of, of Jewish people are mentioned. And so one of them are the scribes. Um, after the Jews came back from the exile, the ones that chose to come back to Israel, to come back to Jerusalem, um, eventually became in different groups. Synagogues were developed. Um, people um, had different groups like, for one, the scribes. The scribes saw themselves as the teachers of the law. They are the ones who, who knew scriptures well, along with some of the others. Others include the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, um, a point of their group and understanding was to be separate. You know, to be separate from the world. 
and to, to live as separate people, to live as a, a holy people. And as they started out, it was probably a very good thing, but over the, as time went on, they became very legalistic. And then the Sadducees. The Sadducees were more aristocratic. They were, um, it was important to them to co cooperate with the Romans. They were involved in politics in that way of, of maybe getting a little chummy with the Romans. Um, they believed in no afterlife, no resurrection. Um, and so once you're dead, you're dead. And that's where, um, especially in the early church, they were seen as, as very hostile toward Christianity because of so much being taught about the resurrection. Also, a group has mentioned the Herodians. And those were Jewish people who liked the Herods. They were very much thinking that they should be aligned with them. You had the, the, the Herods who had helped build the second temple, and so they were, were loyal to them and thought it's a good thing to have them, and because of especially their helping build the temple. And so within some of this group, you have a group of, of these who are coming from Jerusalem, and they've heard many times about this, this teacher, Jesus, and what he's done in his healings. And so they, they, they hear about him, and they track him down. And to him, and I'm, I'm, I'm so surprised, but as they track him down, because they have some issues with Jesus and what he's teaching and what he's saying, and of all the issues that they can bring up at this point in time, they're talking about washing hands. Now, as we read through this passage, I want to point out that it's good to wash your hands at certain times in your life, especially um, before you eat and other times as well. It's good to wash your hands because that's good hygiene. But in this passage we're looking at here, washing hands isn't about hygiene it's about a ceremonial washing for spiritual purity um, before a meal, not to do things to get rid of germs. And I even found in one spot that people said they thought that this became a tradition because the thought was as people um, were living life or they were sleeping, that, that demons would be a part of their hands. And you wouldn't want a demon inside of you, so actually the ceremonial washing was to get rid of the demons off your hands so you would not be defiled with the demons that it might actually go down you know, your, your mouth along with the food that you were eating. So some very interesting things, but another important thing to note, that during um, this time period and actually centuries before and following, there were this group of writings that were created by the rabbis. And in fact, it was called during the first century, after the time of Jesus, but later in the first century, there was this name given to writings saying that it's important to fence the law. Now, fencing the law means that the religious leaders, as they took at the law that was given in what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, that... You know, it's important not to break those laws. So we're going to give guidelines into how people can not break those laws. In fact, we're going to create a margin around them. And this margin we're going to call fencing. We're going to put a fence around the law with given plenty of margins here. And then these teachings of fencing the law 
um, became quite the volumes. In fact, became 63 books and now in 18 volumes if you try to buy this now, um, including what we would call the Talmud and the Mishnah. Um, but extensive writings on particulars of the law. We might consider it somewhat related to like, say in my study Bible here, I've got notes at the bottom and then you've got the, the scripture up above. Well, during this time period of Jesus, that began to get confused. And the people began to see the commentary just as important as the scripture. And so Jesus here at this point is clarifying that what is being taught by the religious establishment is not taking people to God and transforming their hearts, but creating rule after rule after rule to help them in their, their journey, which is actually leading them away from their journey. And it's distracting from the law that was actually presented. So as we read into this, we can um, get an understanding of what this passage is saying. Let's start reading with Matthew chapter 15 with verse 1. And then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? It's what we would call fencing of the law. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. In the fifth commandment, we know this. But you say that if anyone declares what is right might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. They are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So this passage here is referring to a, a word um, that is used in the scriptures. And in this word, it's looking at the, this aspect of honoring God by devoting things within your household and your property to God. But used in such a way as to preventing, say, your aging parents from having access to it. So let's say an aging parent is needing some transportation, and they say, son, can I have your camel? You know, I need to go to Jerusalem. And then the, the son would say, sorry, this camel is devoted to God, and therefore they do not have to give that camel to the parent. Now, the son can go ahead and use this camel, even though it's devoted to God, and have full use of it. But it doesn't have to be given to the parents. So, Jesus is pointing out, you're breaking one of the commandments by fencing the law incorrectly. And because of this, you're actually causing people to sin in how you're doing things, rather than allowing hearts to be transformed. In fact, he use the, uses the word hypocrite. Now, the word um, hypocrite is actually from a Greek word, and it means an actor. 
And you, you may recall in drama, you have the mask with the, um, the smiley face and the frowny face. And I was looking up, when did these masks start using? Well, this is contemporary to this time. And I found it very interesting. It's not only in this culture, but in Asian cultures as well, in their theater, the actors would wear masks. And so he's pointing out here that you are an actor. You are wearing a mask because you're saying one thing with this mask on, but how you're, you're actually doing things yourself is very different. You're teaching yourself and others to think that you're honoring God with your lips, as he's quoting here from Isaiah. Let's just go to that. Start, I'll start with verse 7. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. This is from Isaiah 29. So Jesus is quoting this, this Hebrew passage, pointing out to them that as they have tried to fence the law, they're actually leading people away from having their hearts being transformed. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand. So imagine as Jesus is here, you've got this delegation from Jerusalem, you know, and they're all in their fancy robes and they're, they're asking and I still think it's odd they asked this one question out of all the questions they could ask about washing hands. So Jesus is now going to the crowd and making sure they understand what this means. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that, what, that is what defiles them. So as you, you know your Leviticus and the teachings of Leviticus, it is said you should only eat animals that have a cloven hoof. You can't eat animals that do not have a cloven hoof. You can eat fish, but only things out of the water that has scales. You can't eat them. There were dietary laws. But God didn't say these were things that defiled you. He just said don't eat them. Here Jesus is pointing out that what we eat does not defile us. But what comes out of our mouths, that's what defiles them. Then the Jesus came to him and asked, and I, I just think it's really funny. As Matthew is writing this, and I'll ask you this question, do you, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? So what's the answer to that? Did Jesus know the one who just fed the thousands? He's healed, he, he's calmed the waters, he, he's walked on the water. And does he know that what he said has offended the Pharisees and the scribes? What's the answer? Yes, Jesus obviously knows that. Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Here he's referring back to earlier in Matthew. We learned that Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares. And he said, leave them. In the end, there will be separation. Don't you love Peter in 15? He says, explain the parable to us.
Jesus responds, are you still so dull? I couldn't find, I was trying to see, is this as insulting in the Greek or Aramaic during the time period as it is now? I don't know, but I can imagine that Jesus is getting a little frustrated. Peter's just walked on water, you know, just before this, but he's not getting the, the simplicity of this. And also I'm reminded that I've heard teachings too that um, the typical time that a rabbi would call a student to be a disciple was about 15 years of age. So for that reason, many think that as Jesus is calling the fishermen and other disciples, many of them are young teenagers. And especially John is thought to be one of the youngest of all. Um, but during this time, it kind of gives me insight as we're looking at this. No offense to any 15-year-olds that may be, and I'm sure you're brilliant. Um, but as we see here, um, some things are harder to soak in, even with, um, with Peter. Jesus asked them, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth comes from the heart, and these defile him. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And as we, we listen and, and we read this passage, it may seem so obvious to us. You know, all this is so obvious. We, we know that um, we're not defiled. We, we do not have sin because we wash our hands or don't wash our hands before we eat. But I think in our own way, in our own way, we fence the law. You're like, how do we do that, Randy? You see, it is so easy for us to fence our own law. And what we often do is, and I find myself doing it, is you take certain teachings and you, you put everything around that. And as long as you follow that, then you're good. And then you kind of just don't worry about all the other stuff. And Jesus' teachings are tough as he's talking about how to be extravagant in your love for others and your forgiveness and looking at the extreme calling of devotion to him as Lord. Isn't it a lot easier if we just think, you know, if I've been baptized and, and, and dunked under the water and come back up out of it, then I'm good. I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life. And we may not say that outright, but sometimes I think how we live our lives, it, it looks that way. You see, it's easy to point to something that we've done in the past to pointing to our salvation rather than looking at our, is our heart transformed? Is our, our hard hearts, have they become soft? And as I read in the passage from John, as Jesus is sharing with his disciples at the Last Supper, are our hearts being transformed? Are we allowing God to dwell? Are we allowing ourselves to live with God? So that we're in this constant dialogue inside of us, allowing God to transform who we are. You see, when, we, when we're transformed, then following the commands of Christ becomes something that's natural rather than following the ways of the flesh. 
So fencing our law, how do you fence the law in your life? How does Randy fence the law in his own life? How do I look to certain things and saying, you know, as long as I do this, I'm good. You know, for some of us, it may be regular church attendance. It may be being a really good tither. It may be um, going to church once a month. You know, you're good if you, you, you get into the church once a month. Or it may be a great hymn singer. Maybe it's, I attend Sunday school, so I'm a really good Christian. I don't know. But I think it's very important that we examine ourselves and see, do we point to something that my salvation is from that? And is that thing that you're thinking about something that you've done rather than what Christ has done on the cross? Christ's work on the cross is the only thing that we can point to to understand this gift of righteousness that God has given us. And as we truly understand that and allow Christ to dwell here, transformation only can have its way. You see, you can have dirty hands and a pure heart if God is your heart. But if you have clean hands, that doesn't say anything about your heart. Anybody can wash their hands. Anybody can be dunked. Anyone can come to church every Sunday. But what defiles us is what comes out of our hearts. My question for us this morning, what does honoring God with my heart look like in my life? So as we strive to honor God with our hearts, how does, what does that look like in your life? How is your internal self being transformed by Christ? Is Christ living in your heart right now? Is Christ dwelling right here? If not, all we have to do is open our lives up to Him. Surrender ourselves to Him and say, Christ, I've, I've been running life on my own. I've been doing things on my own terms. I've been trying to be good, but only you are good. All we have to do is say, God, I need you. I surrender to you. I want to dwell with you all the days of my life. And then allow Christ to come in and begin that cleansing work and that transformation to transform our hard hearts to a heart that looks more like the heart of Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, God, let us understand your heart through your teachings so that we know what it looks like. Don't let us look around at our, those around us to get an example don't let us look at great speakers, great preachers, or our neighbor who is such a nice and caring person. God, may we look only to you as our source of understanding what a transformed heart looks like. God, help us truly be living out of dwelling with you. 
and help us to understand what that means and God help us not to be afraid to admit that we've been wearing a mask that we have been putting on a mask and, and coming to church God help us to understand that you want us to take our masks off and just be real with you to be real with ourselves to be real with others and to admit we're on a journey and that we're allowing this process of becoming more like you to become part of our daily existence as we learn to grow into you and who you call us to be. In your precious name, amen.